This is Pet Life Radio. Let's talk pets. Welcome to Covered in Pet Hair, a boozy web show for pet lovers on Pet Life Radio. I'm your host, Isabel Alvarez Arada, and today I have the pleasure of having a drink and a chat with the foremost expert on separation anxiety in dogs. I'll tell you all about her and introduce you as soon as we come back from these messages from our sponsors. Pets are part of the family. Make sure you can always afford the quality health care they need with Easy Pet Check. A nationwide pet insurance alternative, with Easy Pet Check, you'll save up to 75% on all your pet's health care at any licensed veterinarian in the U.S. Easy Pet Check accepts all dogs and cats, regardless of pre-existing conditions. Visit EasyPetCheck.com. That's the letters EZPetCheck.com. Taking care of your pet can be easy with Easy Pet Check. Let's Talk Pets on PetLifeRadio.com. Welcome back to Covered in Pet Hair. I'm your host, Isabel alvarez Arada, and today I have the pleasure of having a drink with a pet parent, a dog trainer, an author, a researcher, and entrepreneur. She's a dog person through and through a foodie and wine snob, so much so that she lives in California wine country to prove it. She's a world traveler, an educator of dog professionals, Californian born and raised, wife to retired dog trainer Kevin, dog mother Tini Demartini, and Mabel. She's the one, the only, Milena Demartini, foremost expert on separation anxiety in dogs. Welcome, Milena. Oh my gosh, I'm so humbled by that beautiful introduction. <laughs> I'm not even sure what to say. And I don't know, I don't blush on Zoom, but I might be blushing. Oh, yay, yay, that's wonderful. It might be the beverage. It is, it must be. But I have to introduce my guests in all of their glory because y'all are so amazing. I pick and choose people that I find fascinating or who are doing amazing things. So I need to give a proper introduction. You're so kind. Well, I'm thrilled <laughs> to be here and covered in pet hair. I mean, the best name ever, right? Thank you. Thank you. It is my life. I have two little ones. One, my little one who just started school, Noah, I have to dress him at the end of the morning to get him in the car and at school before he gets covered in pet hair. So like that is so important. to me. I get it. And you must own stock in like, you know, those roller things. I should, but you know what? I've given up. I've given up and I just, you know, whatever. I just, so long as he gets his pants on, as soon as he's walking out the door, I'm good. I don't care about me. My husband's in the military. His uniform is designed to look like dirt. So like, he's fine covered in dog hair, pet hair, but you know, the little one, I, I don't want him to be like the furry kid at school. What was, what was the kid's name in peanuts that had the cloud? There you go. I can't remember his I name, can't but remember yes, his name, but exactly. we don't want him to be that. No, I don't want that. I don't want that. Poor, I got to give him a chance, a fighting chance in life. <laughs> Before we go any further, anybody participating in our drinking game today, every time that you hear this word. The secret word is phobia. Make sure you take a drink of whatever it is you're enjoying. But please remember, 21 to drink in the U.S., 
never drink and drive and always drink responsibly. What are you drinking tonight, Milena? Well, it's a little early in the day. Normally I would be enjoying a vodka and soda, but I'm having a little bit of a afternoon beverage of a white wine spritzer. Ooh, I love me a spritzer. Very nice. Yes. Oh, so California, right? It is. It is, especially now that spring summer is on the horizon. So are you a full California wine drinker or do you vary your regions throughout the world? You know, interesting. I, I mean, I do love me California wines. No question. But I had a really thorough education. I was in the wine industry for a long time prior to being in the dog world. And I had a beautifully thorough education about wines in general. We used to have these contests that were crazy that they would say, okay, everybody stand up. And then they would say, okay, taste this wine. And everybody who thinks it's from this region, raise your hand. And everybody that didn't raise their hand or did raise their hand or whatever, if, if you got the question wrong, everybody had to sit down. So, and there was usually <laughs> only two or three people standing like this, you know, with their <laughs> final glass of wine. And they were down to like vintages and exact, you know, oh my gosh, what is the exact varietal mix and all this mm -hmm. kind of stuff. It was crazy, but it was a lot of fun. That sounds awesome. In my future life, maybe as a retiree, I will become a sommelier. <gasps> I think one day I will do something like that because my family is from Northern Spain. We have, I grew up visiting wineries. Wine has always been on my table. I love the wine culture. I love to learn about wines. So one day, maybe, maybe I'll be playing that game one day. Maybe you will. And I will be cheering you on throughout. <laughs> That's so cool that you have a, a, a background in wine. I should have just had wine today, but in honor of your last name, I had to pick up some kind of martini. So like, here's a sake oh, martini. A sake martini. Yes. And what makes it cloudy? It's an unfiltered sake. Oh, well, cheers. Cheers. Thank you for being on the show. It's such a pleasure to meet it's you. It's such a pleasure to meet you. And I'm so glad that you know the real rule of cheers. Like when someone says cheers and raises their glass and puts it down, I'm like, oh, no, you did not. Thank you. I always look so awkward at the end of the show. And I'm always like telling my guests, like, I'm going to every time I say cheers, I'm going to take a drink because it's bad luck it's if I terrible. don't. And I just don't want that kind of drama. I don't need any of that. <laughs> Well, I start this show with a game for all of my guests that I obviously tailor to the discussion that we're having. And today, because we're talking about something so important as separation anxiety and something that so many pet parents experience or will experience at some point in their pet loving life, I am going to play with you. It's called, Is It a Myth? Oh, and there's so many of them. Exactly. So I'm going to give you some scenarios or circumstances or statements, and you're going to tell me if they are a myth or if they're based in facts. And you can certainly elaborate if there's something kind of like a gray area. There. Okay. So this is like not truth or dare, but this is sort of like one of those kind of games. This is good. It's kind of like two truths and a lie, but they're more than two truths and more than one. I lie. love it. I love it. All right, let's get started. Is it a myth? Letting dogs in bed with us will lead to separation anxiety. 
boom, it's a myth. Yes, it's it's a really is. big myth. And just you know, I don't want to elaborate on every one of these, but I want every pet parent out there to know that the quote unquote spoiling of your dog, which in my opinion means you're treating your dog like a family member, that does not lead to separation anxiety. You know what, this reminds me a lot of parenting and I'm a very natural minded parent. So biologically developmentally appropriate things I allow my children to do. And everybody says that if you allow your child, you pay your child too much attention, they'll be super needy. And science shows us the opposite exactly. where they get their needs met they actually are more independent in the long run. So when I heard you say that in one of your interviews, I was like, yes, more proof that I my parenting is not gonna cause my children to be dependent on me until they're 35. Nope, not, a, not in the <laughs> least. All right, next one. The only way to deal with separation anxiety in dogs is medicating the pet. Another myth, but I do need to also elaborate on this one. Medication can play an important role for many dogs and we have to, Maybe equate this to if you have a friend, a family member, a colleague that is experiencing some debilitating anxiety or depression, you know, you wouldn't say, hey, pull yourself up by the bootstraps and get over it. Like, you know what? Medication can play a very important role and don't be so terribly afraid of it. It's not going to change your dog's personality. That is actually the opposite of what we want it to do. So I'm glad you brought this one up. Thank you. Okay, next one. Rescue dogs are more prone to having separation anxiety than purebred dogs purchased from breeders. Boom, another myth. Now, I have to caveat this because the research is a little bit out. The jury is a little on a standing still. There are some research studies that say, oh, purebred dogs do not have the same propensity towards separation anxiety. But interestingly enough, the, the overwhelming research shows that it is not a rescue situation that dictates whether a dog will have separation anxiety or related behaviors. Perfect, fantastic. Crates are a good tool in mitigating the effects of separation anxiety. So this is a myth, but it's, there are some nuances to that. There are some dogs that absolutely love their crates, but I need to say something about that. There's a lot of dogs that love to sleep in their crates, love to hang out in their crates, but the moment that you leave them, the crate becomes a scary place. And that is oftentimes what we talk about when we discuss trigger stacking, right? They're like, yeah, I like my crate when you're home, mom. But when you leave, my fear goes up and then I don't feel okay in my crate. So it is not a go-to for separation anxiety dogs. Fantastic. Separation anxiety is biologically normal at certain stages in development. Truth. Yay. Truth. How, when does that happen usually? Yeah, separation anxiety is evolutionarily appropriate for young puppies. Now, you'll love this as a mom, I bet, because this is true for children too, right? They oftentimes, they don't all, but they oftentimes go through stages of mommy, 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 don't leave me mommy. And the thing that is important that we all take away from that is that just because it's evolutionarily, biologically appropriate, does not mean we need to let the puppy or for that matter, the child 
cry it out. Right. Separation anxiety manifests through vocalization, destruction, and or elimination. Truth, with a caveat. Those are the three sort of like, what is it called? Cerebus is the three-headed dog, right? Right. Those are the three main symptoms that are discussed by most dog guardians. But there's so many other indicators and body language that we can see starting from the most minimal, just, you know, licking of the lips to yawning, to subtle whining. And then there's interesting sort of silent suffering, like drooling, trembling, pacing, that nobody hears outside of the apartment door wall, but that doesn't mean that the dog isn't suffering. Oh, that's so, so good. Like. I think this is such an important topic because my husband, I just asked him before our interview, do you have any questions on separation anxiety? And he was like, why do people think it doesn't exist? Like, why do people think it's just like nonsense? Do you find that some pet parents are like, man, that doesn't, that's not a thing. That's not, my pet doesn't have that. So one of the reasons that I think that people think it's nonsense is phobias, which this is by definition, are irrational to the individual that is not experiencing it. So for my friend, Lori, who is terrified of flying on an airplane, and I fly on airplanes all the time, I'm like, "Eh, no big deal. Like, I could see how I could, if I were a certain person, I might say, she's crazy. It's just dumb. You know, get over it, girl. And I could also see that I would maybe try to explain to her, oh, you're more likely to get harmed in a car incident than on an airplane. But that doesn't make a dent in her fear. So that irrationality, I think, is what plagues people because they're like, I always come back. This is dumb. You know, of course, the dog Mm -hmm. knows I will always come back, but they they don't because it's a phobia where they don't comprehend that. For sure. And you likened the reaction of separation anxiety in one of your interviews to a panic attack. So is a dog experiencing similar physiological reactions as we do when we have anxiety or panic attacks? Absolutely. So panic attacks, and that's the thing is that the only information that we have is this external body language. So we maybe hear the dog howling or whining or uh, did I miss a cheers? Did I miss a cheers? No, no, no. I'm just drinking. (laughs) I'm joining. All right. But we see all these external indicators, but we rarely have heart monitors on our dogs. And usually by the time we come home, the sweaty paw prints are already evaporated. And, you know, so we don't see all the, and, and oftentimes we see panting and drooling and things. But by the time we get home, the dog is, you know, excited because we're walking in the door. So we don't see all of those indicators that are physiological and emotional. Okay. So you mentioned again in one of your interviews that separation anxiety is the most researched behavior or condition, which, what should I refer to it as? Is it a condition? Yeah, it's a behavioral, it's, it's actually considered a behavioral syndrome and I'm going okay. to the why it's a syndrome, not a condition, blah, blah, blah. It's like a long research topic study, <laughs> but, you know, discussion, but, um, but it, yeah, it's a behavioral syndrome and it has been the most researched in the past four decades over aggression 
and some of the other behavioral uh, concerns that are out there. And I want to add to that, we are seeing, as you probably have experienced in your own show, you know, in the last year, we've seen this huge increase in new puppies and adopted dogs. And we know from the research that anywhere from 22 to 55% of the dog population, the pet dog population is afflicted by separation anxiety. 50%, if I just chose that round number, 50% of the dogs, if they are afflicted with separation related problems, that's 38 million pet dogs in the US alone. Wow. I had no idea it was that prevalent. It's quite prevalent. Wow. So what has the research that has been done taught us? Because I know it hasn't taught us everything we need to know, but what are the things that we know for sure about separation anxiety? Maybe the top few. Yeah. Well, the top few really are, let me back it up. The thing that we really don't know very much about is causation. We are starting to get some really interesting research about the genetic propensity uh, for separation anxiety, which interestingly enough is not surprising because we've known for a long time that fear type behaviors are genetically related or can be. But I want to make sure that people understand just because it might be or potentially is genetically inspired, there's all sorts of things that play into that. So that doesn't mean that it can't be resolved. Uh, There's epigenetics, there's environment, there's training, there's so many things. So it's not that it can't be resolved just because it's genetic. But yeah, interestingly, we have little information about the causation. Um, We do know a lot of things that don't cause separation anxiety. And you already mentioned one, you know, letting the dog sleep in your bed or... And similar others are like, you know, letting them hang out on your couch or taking them on a bunch of errands or giving them lots of treats or general spoiling activities. We know that that is not causational, which is great news because quite frankly, if everybody that quote unquote spoiled their dog had separation anxiety issues, we would be in a world of trouble. For sure. Absolutely. Because I mean, dogs right now, like, uh, like my last guest told me, he's like in the 20th century, pets are, are the new children for a lot of people. They are for many. Yeah. And you want to be able to spoil them without any concern for that, how it affects their behavior negatively. Um, I also want to know why you think that rescue dogs have the reputation for having a higher propensity for separation. This is a really good question. And this is a bit of a chicken and the egg. There are many rescue dogs that have been relinquished to the shelter or the rescue because of their separation related issues. And so if we have a higher incidence of dogs that are relinquished to the shelter for that reason, we might see a higher outcome on the other end, right? Right. And it's no secret that traumatic events for some dogs will inspire problems with separation staff. And so, yeah, it does make sense. But interesting, even like we have so many clients that have had their pups since, you know, nine weeks old, great life. And at five years old, they moved to a new house. 
and the dog starts to have separation anxiety, right? So anything can be considered a traumatic event. And what's so funny about the purebred dogs is now that we're finding more and more about the genetic predisposition, we're seeing that, and I'm not a geneticist, FYI, we can drink to that. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but there's an actual haplotype, which is the genetic word, which basically means a genetic marker, right? They've discovered that is in relation to separation anxiety. And one of the important things to know about that is that those are passed on through genes. And we have so many puppies. And here's another myth buster. Puppies cannot get separation anxiety. Not true. And even purebred from the best breeders can have separation anxiety. So, so no, I think that the rescue dogs just get a bad rap. And it's very common that people say, oh, he's a rescue dog. And therefore, but quite frankly, our dogs are resilient resilient. And so it's not necessarily the shelter environment that is inspiring, you know, separation related issues. Um, But I do understand that it's more common than not to assume that that's where it's occurring. And you are an actively training dog trainer, you have a team of dog trainers that work with you. Do you find that in your, I guess, practice or your in your business, do you see that it's pretty equal across the board? Yes. And I actually want to tell you, if I have a moment, I want to tell you a funny yeah, story please. about this. So about 15 years ago, oh, dating myself, I've been doing this for t- almost 21 years now, separation anxiety. And uh, about 15 years ago, I did one of my first speaking engagements here in the San Francisco Bay Area. And uh, I just was just, you know, basic, here's what separation anxiety is, yada, yada, yada. When we wrapped up, someone, you know, there were question and answer period. And someone said, hey, do you see a prevalence in particular breeds? And I thought about it for a moment. And I said, you know, I don't know if there is or is not. But I've got to tell you that 80% of my caseload is Pitbull breeds or Pitbull mixes. Everyone said, oh, yeah, okay. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Fast forward about five to seven years from that time, technology caught up and we had Skype and we had other online tools so that I was able to work with clients all over the world. And it dawned on me, and this is embarrassing. I used to be a statistician. So this is embarrassing that I didn't clue into this. But as soon as I had a worldwide market, I realized, oh, well, in Hungary, there's a lot of Vishlas that have separation anxiety. In uh, Belgium, there's a lot of Malinois and uh, Havanese that have separation anxiety. You know, all these different areas, you know, where breeds were predominant, that breed was the predominant. And I just recently had, interestingly enough, a clubhouse interview where Two or three of the people in the UK said, oh, Cavapoos, they all have separation anxiety. And I said, oh, that's funny. You're all in the UK. And they all started laughing and they're like, you're right. Cavapoos are the number one breed in the UK right now. So if there's a predominance of a breed, of course, they're going to present more oftenly just from a statistic perspective, right? Right. 
Absolutely. So, it makes perfect sense. Yeah. We have not seen a breed specific or a rescue specific amount of separation anxiety. That is amazing. That is such a good way to take a break right now. And we'll resume with more details about what people can do to help their pet if they have separation anxiety. So sit tight. We'll be right back after these messages from our sponsors. Take a bite out of your competition. Advertise your business with an ad in Pet Life Radio podcasts and radio shows. There's no other pet-related media that is as large and reaches more pet parents and pet lovers than Pet Life Radio. With over 7 million monthly listeners, Pet Life Radio podcasts are available on all major podcast platforms. And our live radio stream goes out to over 250 million subscribers on iHeartRadio, TuneIn, Stitcher, and other streaming apps. For more information on how you can advertise on the number one pet podcast and radio network, visit PetLifeRadio.com slash advertise today. Let's talk pets. Let's talk pets. On Pet Life Radio. Pet Life Radio. PetLifeRadio.com. Welcome back to Covered in Pet Hair. I'm your host, Isabel Alvarez-Arada, and today I am talking about a very serious topic, but I'm having a really good time doing it. Thank you, Malena Martini, for being such a good guest and such an enjoyable guest. I know we have to talk about something kind of heavy like separation anxiety, but I like to keep things light. So I have a second game for you today. This one's called Bravo or Bogus. And this is, I guess, what a pet parent might use to appease their dog with separation anxiety. And I want you to tell me if you would say to this person, bravo, good job, that's a nice option, or that's kind of bogus, what are you thinking? Okay, I hope I don't bogus a bunch of things that people feel strongly about, but I'm going to tell the truth. You have to tell the truth because in dog training, which I'm sure I'm preaching to the choir, there are a lot of myths and techniques that are perpetuated that do nothing but potentially harm pets. And we want that to end right here, especially in this topic. Yes, <laughs> I agree. All right. First one, a pet parent leaves his pet alone for small increments of time to desensitize him or her to being left alone. Bravo or bogus? Bravo with a caveat. What's the caveat? The caveat is what do we define small increments of time as? So if you go on the internet and research separation anxiety, oftentimes the information says, well, start out with leaving them for five minutes and then move to 10 and then move to 20. For some dogs, that is so far past the amount of time that they're able to tolerate successfully that actually you're harming the process rather than helping it. So yes, that is the basis of gradual exposure is what we do with these dogs. But what you need to determine is where is your dog's panic point? And if it's three seconds, then you're only gonna leave for two seconds. And I know that sounds like a tall order, but it does advance quickly. You've gotta start with the place that the dog in front of you is able to handle. I love it. Yes. Like don't put them at threshold. That's Keep them below right. threshold every time. Yes. That makes so much sense. 
A pet parent uses zip ties to keep their pet in their crate to prevent the destruction behaviors that they display when they are having a separation anxiety event. Yeah, that's a big, big bogus one. And it's one that actually tugs at my heartstrings a lot because people say, well, my dog's destructive, so I've got to put him in the crate. Oh, but he breaks out of the crate, so I have to use zip ties and safety locks and all these things to keep him in the crate. And quite frankly, we're simply confining the dog with their panic. And we don't want to do that. It can exacerbate the problem and it actually can lead to injury, self-harm, broken teeth, broken nails. Dogs pull at the crate bars and they can puncture themselves. I mean, there are so many safety issues that need to be addressed. And those zip ties are just not the way to go about it. You know, I used to run a pet care business in Northern Virginia before I started this show. COVID put the, uh, the kibosh on that business. But I had a client who I'm thinking of right now, and he was his name was Blue, and he was wonderful, beautiful, but he had separation anxiety. And so they would use a padlock on the crate. And as his pet care provider and owner of the business, thinking about the liability, I was like, what if there's an emergency and we can't get him out. What if you forget to leave us the key to the padlock? What if there's a fire and the fire department comes in and doesn't know to look for the dog in the crate that is padlocked? So many safety issues. And I had to say, absolutely not. We cannot use a padlock. So that brings me to the second one, because in this particular dog's case, they got a second dog to help with separation anxiety. So do you think bogus or bravo getting a second dog to keep the first dog company i wish it was a bravo but it's a bogus it's a bogus yes and here's the thing that i always advise our clients if you are like i can't wait to get a second dog in my life well bring in a second dog there's nothing wrong with that but if you are thinking i'd like to get a second dog to fix my first dog don't do it not only is having two dogs more than two dogs worth of work, having two dogs, one with separation anxiety, which probably will not be fixed by the second, there's the potential for contagion. We don't want your second dog to also have separation anxiety. And there's also, you know, a concern that we're just you know, sort of throwing spaghetti at the wall there, right? And then now you have a living, breathing, sentient being, second dog in your home, and you've got to address the needs of both of them. For sure. Absolutely. In the case of Blue, it did not help. And unfortunately, Blue was rehomed because the family was not capable of meeting his needs and they did the right thing by him. And in the Northern Virginia area, he was probably rehomed by a family that was ready and willing to work with him. Love it. Yes. Okay. Next one. A pet parent leaves and sets up a Zoom meeting to record the pet's behavior while they're gone. Bogus or bravo? Oh, big. Bravo. Bravo. <laughs> but I want people to know, you don't have to leave for an hour or two or three, particularly post-pandemic times when many dogs have not been left alone for very long or at all. Um, less 
drive around the block once and set up that Zoom meeting or, you know, camera of a whatever type and, and determine if our dog is experiencing distress and anxiety when left alone. Perfect. Awesome. A pet parent uses herbals and or CBD to help reduce separation anxiety symptoms. Okay. So this is my bias, my bias. And I want people to hear that. I'm going to call bogus. And I just have seen that there is very little research that supports that many of the nutraceuticals, herbals, holistics, and organics, and including CBD are affecting separation anxiety positively, or even positively enough, maybe is a better way to say it, that it will help the animal's welfare. You know, it's, it's back to what you said about it's being a phobia. So if I have a phobia, you can give me a CBD dropper full of whatever, and I'm still going to have a phobia. So if I have a mild case of anxiety one day, the CBD might take the edge off. But for something as serious as separation anxiety or a phobia, it's not going to make a dent. I love that you say that. I used to tell people all the time, I, I used to suffer terribly from insomnia. And people used to tell me all the time, drink sleepy time tea. (laughs) I'm familiar with the tea. Yeah, it's fine. (laughs) You know, there's nothing wrong with drinking sleepy time tea. And if you don't suffer from insomnia, it probably will, you know, chamomile or whatever (laughs) will probably, you know, help you get cozy at night. But if you are suffering with a, you know, an issue that is that severe, the chamomile is not going to touch it. Was it my mom telling you that? Because in my family, chamomile cures everything. (laughs) Your mom and my mom, are they friends or related? (laughs) I mean, it's not enough, but but we'll definitely have the tea. Okay. All right. Next one. A pet parent pee pad trains or installs a doggy door so that the pet can relieve themselves when they're feeling separation anxiety. Oh, okay. This is a little bit of a tricky one because... If they're pee pad training or dog door training because the dog actually needs to relieve themselves, not from anxious behavior, but because they're gone for three hours and the dog needs to actually go, then I would say it's a it's generally a Bravo. But if they're doing it because the pet is eliminating indoors out of anxiety, oh, then it's a bogus. Because it's not going to work, right? They're going to eliminate wherever they are. They're not really in a conscious state where they're going to be like, oh, I should go outside because I need to. This is so involuntary. So involuntary as as is defined by a phobia, right? This is an involuntary physical reaction. And I always say, you know, people often use the expression, my God, I'm going to pee my pants. I'm so scared. Well, if dogs were wearing pants, they would pee them when they are afraid, right? Absolutely. I remember being on a hike with a dog that I was taking care of. Her name was Nala. She was wonderful. And she kind of got kind of accosted by another dog that was off leash and nothing happened. Everything was fine. The dog was fine, but he came out of nowhere and we were both super scared. And she immediately pooped. immediately, oh, like he walked away. No, he, po- he, she immediately pooped. She immediately was like, Oh, oh they left. And now I'm going to poop. And it, I remember being like, I get it. She was so scared that she immediately like not in like position, just pooped. And I mean, she was that scared. Yeah. Fear is, fear is powerful. 
It really is. And uh, yeah, so they're not going to remember to be like, oh, I'm scared. I should go outside and-, and No, and not at all. I, I should go find the, the PPP. No, not at all. Last one, providing enrichment and exercise is a cure for separation anxiety. All right. Well, the key word there is cure and it is absolutely bogus. It is neither of those are a cure for separation anxiety. And obviously enrichment and exercise are so important for our dogs, but it's not going to touch separation anxiety. And one of the things that always worries me, particularly about the exercise, you know, here's the thing. Most of the dogs in the U S are somewhat under exercise, not most, but a lot. And, but in the recommendation of increase the exercise times 20, you're going to build an athlete that still has separation (laughs) anxiety. Like that's, that's all you're doing. Right. So, right. Well, there's always that saying a tired pup is a happy pup. And that's true for most dogs, unless they have a syndrome like this. That's exactly Right? right. Yeah. You can't exercise me enough to like you know, I don't know, like, I guess to the point where I would fall asleep, but I'd still be not even restful necessarily. Imagine if you were like, I'm going to go for a 10 mile run. And at nine and a half miles, someone, I don't know, pulled a gun on you or something. Would you be like, I'm too tired. I'm not going to react. No. So good. That's such a good analogy. Absolutely. Absolutely. I even had like a reaction to that scenario and it's not even real. And so, yes. I I can totally see that scenario being a really great analogy for people. Okay. So are there any other conditions that manifest very similarly to separation anxiety where people might be like, oh, it's not separation anxiety. It's X, Y, Z. There are some, what the vets call differential diagnoses and the most common. So if someone comes home and they see their, you know, couch pillows ripped to shreds, they may think, oh my gosh, my dog has separation anxiety. But we need to get into the assessment aspect because destruction can be for reasons of boredom, can be reasons of frustration. Uh, it can be redirection because the dog is seeing dogs outside the window and getting frustrated and ripping up the pillows or what have you. Inappropriate or insufficient house training. If the dog urinates or defecates in the house other times, or if even only when left alone, but they've been punished for urinating or defecating in front of the owner, they may be like, oh, thank God I can finally pee in the house because no one's home and I won't get in trouble. And then vocalization, there's a lot of environmental external stimuli that dogs will happily bark at, you know, the squirrels, the cats in the neighborhood, the people passing by the window, et cetera, the apartment building noises, all of that. And so that's why we're so lucky to live in this day and age with technology like Zoom and other, you know, cameras and things that we can use. So we can say, is this dog upset? Yes or no. And then if you say no, then we can discern frustration or other issues. If the answer is yes, by looking at that dog's body language, then we need to address it very, very systematically and carefully. Okay. Okay. That makes sense. And I actually, I guess I was ahead of the the game when back in 2015, I installed cameras in my house to watch my dogs. 
just, you know, like the security cameras. And I would be traveling for work and I would check in with my dogs while my husband was working and I would check to see. So there are security cameras like Nest cameras and things like that, that you use for security reasons, but you can really check into your pet at all times. Absolutely. And, and because of technology, just rapidly advancing all the time, as much as I love nest, which I do, I have nest everything. And yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, there are $30 cameras like wise and a couple of others, you know, the Yi cameras, another one that I use, they're like 30 bucks. So you can, you know, rotate them and all that stuff on your phone and watch your dogs. So even if you don't, make the, you know, $200 or so investment of a Nest Cam, there's still a lot of options out there or set up Zoom. Yeah, that's perfect. Awesome. Great, great tip on the cheaper um, <laughs> cameras. All right. So when you, we return home, if our pets are just super duper excited to see us, is that at all a sign of maybe them having had separation anxiety while we were gone? Is there like a gauge on what's normal? reception and what's extra. So there's a gauge, but it's a gauge for your individual dog. And so I always like to tell people we have to find the baseline. And so if you walk out to take out the recycling and your dog's like, oh my God, you've been gone 26 seconds and I'm so excited to see you. (laughs) And if that's the way he or she reacts when you're gone for an hour or three, or just to take out the recycling, that's just their baseline behavior. And that's okay. If your dog reacts like, you're back from the recycling, please don't bother me. I'm napping. But then when you're gone for an hour, they're leaping and, you know, jumping and screaming, etc. That would be a worthy investigation to take on. That is such a good, yeah, that's perfect. I mean, that's so easy to do. People check it. Like, it's just a matter of observation. And then we can do any more digging if we need to. So how does training help separation anxiety dogs? What kind of process, what does the process look like? So the process, which by the way, is the exact same process that we use for human beings that have fears and phobias and anxieties. Okay. It was developed in the late 1950s by a couple of scientists. Nobody recognizes the name of Wolp, but everybody knows Pavlov, right? Everyone's like, oh, the bell guy. We know the bell guy, right? Uh, <laughs> and Wolp and Pavlov developed uh, a process which has a big long word, it's called systematic desensitization. And uh, don't worry about the word, it's not important for most, but the process is taking gradual exposure of the scary stimuli. And in this instance, it would be alone time, right? So gradual exposure of alone time and making sure that the dog is always feeling safe during that gradual exposure, and then very systematically and incrementally increasing that over time. And, you know, and again, I go back to the example that you said, oh, well, five or 10 minutes or whatever. For some dogs, it's truly a few seconds that you need to start out with or less. Some dogs, it's just jiggling the doorknob, you know, or walking to the door, those sorts of things. But it does increase over time. And I love to remind people that 
you know, you're going to have your dog, let's just knock on wood and hope you're going to have your dog 15, 16, 17, 18 years. Let's put in this temporary time towards training so that the next 15 years, you don't have to worry about your dog being alone. For sure. And because the pandemic is still kind of a around. It still exists, even though some people are forgetting about it. Um, This is a good time when people are still somewhat more at home to work on something like this, right? As a matter of fact, I've been getting crazy on trying to get the word out lately, uh, trying to get onto news media and everything else saying like, everybody like right now happens to be 348 my time in the Pacific time zone, 348, maybe 349 is the best time for you to start working on this. You know, as soon as you finish listening to Covered in Pet Hair today, like start to prepare your dog for alone time because you've got the opportunity now and it's going to be a lot more difficult later. Yes. When you're busy, everybody's back to school and back to work and back to the office. It's going to be a nightmare. And how do you We talked about this when we met on Clubhouse. How do you think or how do you recommend pet parents use pet professionals like dog walkers and pet sitters to help them in this process? Yeah, well, you know, pet professionals, particularly pet sitters, dog walkers and even daycare facilities right now, if you like I said, 349 Pacific time, if you haven't set up a relationship with your pet setter, your dog walker, your daycare, if if those are things that your dog enjoys, of course, then do it right now today, because they are all already overbooked and at maximum capacity. And in a month or however long that you have prior to returning to work and other social life activities, They're not going to have availability for you. So set up those relationships. But I do want to remind people that there are also not not to take away from the professionals because they are amazing help. But there are, you know, low cost and no cost options too. you know, neighbors and family and friends and friends of friends and, you know, your your sister's husband's cousin that just you know, sprained your ankle and is off of work for three weeks that happens to say, I would love, you know, free Wi-Fi and a fridge full of food to put my foot up on your couch and play with your dog, you know? I mean, so the creativity is so important in finding these solutions to not leave the dog alone. Yes. I listened to one of your interviews where you said, Somebody was asking a question. They they said they had a village helping them. And you said, build a bigger village. That's right. That's exactly right. Use your resources to help this animal and then it'll pay off in the long run for sure. So I know you employ, a, a, is it 100 dog trainers? Well, I don't employ all 120 right now. Uh, I've trained 120 some odd and growing. Wow. But for my personal company, we have 15 that are actually under my employee. And we take on clients all over the world. And we also have a self-paced online course because we realize not everybody has the time or the means to work one-on-one five days a week with a trainer. And so our online self-paced course called Mission Possible is available for anybody and everybody. And I go in there every single day, seven days a week and answer people's questions and comments. 
That is amazing. So how can our viewers and listeners learn more about all of the things that you offer? Well, uh, they can certainly go to my website, which is melenademartini.com. And there's all sorts of free resources there. Go through all the blogs, go through all the, you know, information. I'm so passionate about this issue that I'm trying to the best of my ability to help people, even if they don't have the resources to be able to, you know, have a personal trainer an individual dog professional helping them. And so there's a lot of free stuff that they can peruse there. Um, but we actually also offer a 30 minute, no charge call to anybody that is worried and concerned and reaches out to us. That is amazing. And I will say that all of the interviews that I watched were on YouTube and you, you have a YouTube channel and then and just searching your name, I had a ton of interviews that I was able to pull from. So don't forget YouTube. And while you're at YouTube, make sure you subscribe to Covered in Pet Hair, please. Here's a plug for me. And subscribe to Milena too. Uh, so I have to wrap it up. I want to thank you so much, Milena, for your time and for your expertise and for all the, the benefit that these dogs are reaping from your research and your training. Cheers. Cheers. I also want to propose a toast to my executive producer, Mark Winter, for making this show possible. And to our listeners on Pet Life Radio and our viewers on YouTube, here's to a life covered in pet hair because there's no better way to live. Cheers. Cheers to that too. <laughs> To learn more about Covered in Pet Hair, please visit CoveredInPetHair.com or PetLifeRadio.com. Thanks for watching and we'll see you next time. Let's Talk Pets, every week on demand, only on PetLifeRadio.com.